Hey, howdy, how are you? Welcome to the Friendship News Hour presented to you by Bummer Dude Media. Today is November 29th, 2022. My name is Frank. His name is Alex. Uh, how you doing? Not bad. I'm, I'm healed. I'm, I'm on the mend. Everything's good. I've been doing nothing but drinking Dayquil and NyQuil for about a week now, but your boy's back. Better than ever. Nice. I, you know, coincidentally, I do that when I'm not sick. Really? Just to level myself out. It's <laughs> just a little fun. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Yeah. You get too hyper off the coffee. Have to balance it out with some NyQuil. <laughs> Probably not healthy. I read an article, an article or a Twitter thread about the uh, the way in which a drug addict will do something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, they'll take an upper and then bring it in with a downer. And I feel like I do that on a much smaller scale. Don't you sometimes like you had too much coffee, so you feel like to balance that out with another substance, or you have like, or maybe maybe I'm just fucked in the head. That is probably yeah. I, I mean, no, I mean you're definitely fucked in the head, but I, I will do something like that. Like most of my mornings start with a cup of coffee, a pot of coffee. Really, I like to with that pot of coffee though smoke a morning bowl, which is doing exactly what you're just describing. Yeah, a drug right, okay, there you do. go, exactly. <laughs> and and even okay, take even take that bowl out of it, like like. Far too much coffee. And I'm I'm not criticizing. I have an entire carafe right next to me. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's far too much. Yeah. For too many, sure. I, I don't know. I guess I guess it's kind of apparent. But I I, I I was reading this and I was like, wonder I wonder what and we've talked about this before, but I, I wonder what it would be like to be, just be substance free. Caffeine included. Just uh, see if, if I could even feel it. Are we gonna try it someday? Uh, and and then I say it's a it's a joyless word world already yeah, right. why why deprive me of, of the simple pleasure of a, a cup of coffee i've been putting cream in my coffee lately i've never done that frank me too it's what? been the last two weeks frank and i yes. feel so bad i'm ashamed of it that's why i haven't a little sugar you. um no just like the coffee creamers like the almond creamer that you can buy the almond milk creamer oh uh, yeah no i've been going straight cream heavy cream oh clam damn i've been oh, ashamed so frank i've been hiding in the shadows man i didn't want it's anyone delicious. to know it is. And I've been a black coffee guy for so long since I've been drinking coffee and fucking pumpkin spice did it to me, man. The, mm. the holiday came this year. I started drinking, like I'll always get my pumpkin spice lattes. I like them. I'm a, I'm a white girl at heart, I guess. And they're just delicious. And I've, I get them at this time of year, every year, get a, you know, a little extra shot of espresso, make it a little bit more coffee. But since I started doing that, man, end of October ish, whatever that was, I've been putting a little cream in every day and I just don't know how to feel about it. Yeah, I uh I, I don't I don't hate it. I, I think uh the problem is I bought this big giant bag of um Starbucks winter blend coffee from Costco. Mm-hmm. Shout out Costco. Mm. And it wasn't what I expected. So instead of being that person that takes it back, I just said I'll just I'll drink it. And mm. so it's fine black. Like it's not the worst. It's not folders, but it's uh I started putting a little cream in there just to kind of mellow it out and it's just <sighs> I don't, I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can go back because <laughs> times are tough, dude. I can't, I can't buy like an eight ounce bag of coffee for 13 bucks anymore. I just can't do that. Yeah. And that's yeah. where the, the real quality coffee is at. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, how was your Thanksgiving though? It was good, man. It, so we just because of, you know, family out of town or, you know, Sarah's got some family sick right now and we did Thanksgiving like a month ago with, with her family and we were with oh, my nice. family last weekend in, in Ohio and did it. So this Thursday, dude, we just kicked it, made pizza, mac and cheese, watched football nice, all day, dude. and it was it was very relaxing actually to not have to like really leave the house or do anything, which then like kind of just fed into my birthday on Friday, and then just like a weekend of doing nothing 
except eating and just kind of fucking off. But it was great. Oh, it was nice. a really happy, I can't happy really belated. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. But then I can't think of a better way to celebrate my birthday. I, I put this post up online, but we uh, every year for my birthday, we go to this Brazilian steakhouse called Chamagaucha. And uh, last year, it was delayed. My birthday dinner was delayed a week because it had fallen on Thanksgiving. And so we went to Chamagaucha like a week later. And uh, that night, you know, we all ate our fill. That night we went home, and that was the night that Sarah's water broke. And mm -hmm. Wally came that next day. So it was just kind of cool. We took him with us this time. So, you know, to where all the magic happened and he got to like try steak for the first time and he was digging so when it, is, and that was fun. His, his birthday should be... December 6th. He'll be a year in like... The 6th. Okay. In like five or what is it? Seven days? Yeah. Wild. Yeah. I, I can't believe it. It's gone so quick, but... So that was cool. But yeah, really, re, you know, relaxing birthday weekend. The best gift that probably could have ever given, been given to me was the Michigan Wolverines pulling their dick oh, out man, and fucking right. the Ohio State Buckeyes on their own field. Fuck you to all the Buckeyes yes. fans. It felt so good to watch. And I just, oh, it just felt so good to watch, dude. I just kept thinking about all the people sitting in that stadium, probably like forty to 50,000 Buckeye fans just eating shit. Oh, it was amazing. Yes, eloquently put. <laughs> you are a, a, po a poet. A wordsmith. Yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> it was, it was so awesome. good, though, dude. It was cool. I didn't know what to expect. You know, both teams undefeated going into it. History's not on Michigan's side at all yeah. in these situations. The expectation is disappointment. So I think that's what makes the the the, the beatdown so much more satisfying, that it was just, not only did they win, but they left zero doubt. And I still think that there was, I still think, not to take any credit away from Michigan, I still think that Ohio State lost that game. Mm-hmm. More than Michigan won, and and I I got to give credit to to Jim Harbaugh because he definitely outcoached uh, his his counterpart there. But it was tremendous. It was tremendous watch. It was great to see the 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 tides turn, and now we're on this side of it. Right, right, and it, man, dude, going into that game, knowing Blake, like I was at that Illinois game last week. Blake Corum, he took that helmet to the knee, and he did not look good. And I did not have high hopes for him really participating much at all in this week. Uh, so going into it, I was very, I'm to be honest, very worried. Like we're in Columbus, our best player, who our entire offense all year has been run through, is hurt. His backup Edwards has like a a broken hand or something with his dominant hands. He's wearing a huge glove, so I'm like, this is gonna be turnover city. I, I'm freaking out. We start that game and look terrible. We look awful. Like JJ McCarthy was missing missing passes as he has been doing the last few weeks and. I just there had to have been just a ton of nerves. Ohio State came out super hot, and I, I'm watching that game in the first quarter, like thinking to myself, like we are fucked. This is going to be embarrassing. And it just kind of in the second quarter, kind of seemed to, the tides kind of shifted, and we kind of weathered that initial storm of Ohio State coming out hard and and doing what they do, and I th we kind of started to figure some things out. And then we went into that game at halftime, and both of these teams have been second half teams all year. So I'm, I was like very interested to see what, what's going on. A shit ton of respect for Jim Harbaugh. I don't have a ton of respect for Ryan Day. I think he was kind of handed the keys to a really successful football team. Uh, but I've seen him do some good things since then. He, he's had, obviously he has phenomenal players. So that's just what you're going to do with them. But uh, I was really interested to see what happened out of that, you know, in that second half, out of the halftime. And Jim Harbaugh totally, totally outcoached, outclassed Ryan Day and his entire staff, man. They couldn't get anything going. Buckeye, the players were getting super frustrated, kept getting 
personal foul penalties, pass interference penalties. Like we were in their head, man. And to see the Michigan offense who have been ground and pound all year and just chip and chunk their way up all the whole field. And obviously we've been scoring a lot and whatever, but to see four or five plays over 70 yards was just awesome, dude. In, in that game especially, it was just awesome. <laughs> yeah, it was great. Um, and, I, and I think it immediately started to begin the, 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 the rumor mill there about um, – if somebody else might come in and coach Ohio State, because th- this this uh, out coaching, this this out, out pre- preparation, that that didn't happen um, with uh, with with Ryan Day's predecessor, right? Like like Michigan doesn't win against teams coached by Jim Trussell or Urban Meyer. They just don't. Right. And uh, and so I don't know. Uh, maybe they can turn it around. They were undefeated going into the game, and uh, I think I think their quarterback was like Heisman. Heisman hopeful or, or one of the front runners and he, he just he didn't look great uh, especially there towards the end so we'll see what happens with Ohio State looking forward uh, Michigan has a, uh, a a very winnable I wouldn't say it's a it's a lock by any means it's it's the Big Ten Championship so you, you want to take that game seriously but it's a very winnable game of the Big Ten Championship yep. and then uh, a, a, you know a possible meeting with uh, Probably TCU if, if all things go to plan in the uh, college football playoffs. That's what I was going to uh, ask you. Is, so looking at the playoff picture now, we, they're going to announce it tonight what, what it's going to be. But in my head, Michigan's the number one team in, in my head right now after that win going into the number two team in the country, embarrassing them at home. I, I don't, I haven't seen a win from Georgia more convincing this year, uh, although the SEC is a very tough league that they're in. But to me, they just prove themselves as the number one team. But whatever you have, Georgia, Michigan, one or two, um, the remaining spots would would probably fall. Obviously, to TCU, they've remained undefeated. But that fourth spot, you have a lot of a lot of debate. I'm really interested to see what happens tonight because a lot of people, after their win over Notre Dame, would say USC should be in there because uh, they're a one loss team. A lot of people are saying Ohio State's proved enough this year that they should still be in that category. But Ohio State really doesn't have any big wins to point to. Notre Dame is their only big win, and Notre Dame's now a four loss team. Yeah, so I th- I think if USC wins their conference championship that they're in, you can't put in a, a team that wins the Pac-12 and goes eleven and one, and it would be then twelve and one, and and then and then put it, Ohio State over them. I just I don't see it happening. You think regardless of what rankings come out tonight, it's really what happens next weekend that really will matter. Yeah, it has to be because if Ohio State's at four, I mean, they, yeah, they could easily get taken if USC wins that Pac-12 or ten or yeah. whatever that. If USC position. wins the 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 Pac-12 championship, they leapfrog. Ohio State. I don't think that they're better than Ohio State. I think they get creamed by Georgia. I think Georgia. I think Georgia wins pretty convincingly the championship. I don't care who you they think play. so. I, I, oh, absolutely. I have faith without in, in Michigan now, man. If, especially because we'll have Corum back at that point. We'll <laughs> yeah, right. If Corum. Michigan plays the way they played against Ohio State, there's no way. Yeah. Georgia doesn't make those mistakes. Georgia doesn't let you know three touchdowns happen over 80 yards. Four touchdowns happen over 80 yards. That does not exist against Georgia. That that's very so true. I, I, that's very true. But so, we'll have the key player to our offense, which it, our offense hasn't been big plays all year. It's been drive the fucking ball. And we have the best O line in the country and the best running back. That's where they lost last year. We thought we had, we thought we had some studs up front last year and we just got manhandled. Yeah. yeah. We, we, Georgia did to us what we did to Ohio state. True. That's very, so I, I, again, until they can prove it, I, I really have no faith that any big 10 team can beat a team like Georgia yeah. or a team like Alabama in any given season. It just, really hasn't happened mm-hmm. um so we'll see it'll be fun i'm excited while we're on sports how'd we do this week 
So this weekend we did better. We went seven and nine this weekend. Seven and nine? Yeah, I got kind of surprised by yeah. the Browns. The the obviously the Broncos just continue to suck terribly. They they let us down. Colts let us down last night. So seven and nine, not terrible, not great. Went three and zero on Thanksgiving though. Yes, we did. Yeah, we started out that great, was dope. man. Yeah. Go Lions, dude. I don't give a shit that we lost. We held in there with this probably the Super Bowl favorite team, and I've, I've got so much hope, not obviously for this season, but for the future, and I believe in Dan Campbell. I think that the team believes in him. Um, I'm really excited to see if we can get our defense turned around. That I, I think we got a playoff contending team at least. Perhaps. Uh, all right, let's go through these really quick. Real quick, we had a, a few female listeners reach out to me and just kind of ask that we describe more of what we're doing or, or kind of just explain the spread and and ah okay a little bit so I figured we could just do that really quick yeah absolutely so I'll I'll do that in real time as we go through these first game this week is Bills at the Patriots when we're talking about the spread what we mean is is that the handicappers Vegas whoever takes the bets have put odds on the game and they do so by either favoring well they'll, they'll favor one team right and they favor them by giving the other team points to start. So in this game, Buffalo is minus five points. When you hear that Buffalo is minus five points, that means they start the game with a five-point deficit. And in order for you to win the bet that you place on this game, they will have to beat the Patriots by five points or more. If they beat them by five points, right, the game, if the game is 15 to 10, that's a ridiculous score. But if the game is 15 to 10 and the Bills are up 15 and the Patriots have 10, that's a wash. Because the Patriots were spotted five points to begin the game, that means that the, that really the game is fifteen to fifteen, and that bet doesn't make any money. It doesn't lose any money, but doesn't so you doesn't do make get your money, money back in that scenario. Correct. Okay. Um, so in this game, the Bills are favored by five points at the Patriots uh, mm. on a, on a short week, and the Patriots, dude, I don't know, man, six and five. They look decent. The Bills don't look invincible like they did at the beginning of the year. Um, and I'm inclined to take the points here and pick the Patriots. Okay. I'll rock with you. On a short week. Especially with uh, Von Miller getting hurt. They're losing a lot. They've so, lost quite a few defensive options on the Bills. Yeah, so I, yeah, for sure. I'm with you um, So when I say I'm taking the Patriots and the points, what I mean is I'm taking the Patriots. They can lose the game, but as long as they don't lose by, by more than five, then we're good. Um Next game, starting on Sunday, Steelers at the Falcons. Um, this is an even up, man. Just a pick them. The line is zero, meaning oh, wow. straight up wins. My money's on the Falcons then, if that's the case. They got more points. Yeah, so... Uh, eh. <laughs> yeah, Falcons at home. Let's go Falcons. Mm -hmm. um, Packers at the Bears. This is a three-point line in favor of the Bears. Really? Oh, excuse me, the Packers. Okay. Three-point line in favor of the Packers. And Justin Fields may play. See, that's that's the problem of doing these on Tuesday. I don't, I don't know. If Justin Fields doesn't play, even if he does, I'll take the Packers. I'm with you. Aaron Packers Rogers, over the Bears is kind of uh, like clockwork. Mm -hmm. uh, Jags at the Lions. And the Jags are one-point favorites in Detroit. I'll take Detroit all day. For sure. Jets at the Vikings. Minnesota is a three-point favorite at home. And the Jets are riding Mike White or White Mike, however you like to call him. I like the Vikings to yep. cover the three points. Mm -hmm. 
Commanders at the Giants. The Commanders are two and a half point favorites in East Rutherford. That's a weird one. That's a really weird one. I'm tr- both teams. Commanders both are, are, come on, man. The e, the NFC East uh, the the worst record in the NFC East right now is seven and five. The Washington Commanders. Yeah, I mean, and everyone kind of thought they were going to be terrible. You go back to week four or five, they looked awful. The Lions beat them, yeah. and, and they were not doing shit, man. But I, um, give me the Giants at home. Spark. You're going to give it the, to the Giants? Yeah, give me the Giants at home. All right. We went we went Broncos last year. Where last week, man, we didn't trust those <sighs> Commanders, man. We're going to let them I'll, get us I'll again? Never, I'll never do that again with the Broncos. <laughs> uh, Titans at the Eagles. Eagles, uh, five-and-a-half-point favorites at home against the Titans. Um that is slightly too big for my my taste, so I'll take the Titans in this one. Yeah, I feel good about that. Broncos at the Ravens. I don't even care what the spread is. Give me the Ravens. <laughs> the Broncos are so bad. They're so bad. I, it's like unbelievable how bad they are. Have you seen the thing online that shows how many touchdowns Russell Wilson's going to throw compared to how many bathrooms he has in his house and it, it, if the bathrooms <laughs> will win this season? Oh, Jesus. Have you what seen a, it What yet? a joke. No, I haven't. Dude, so right now, him and Sierra have 12 bathrooms in their house, and there's this guy online, I think he's on TikTok, and, and weekly, he will he like does it as if, he, he'll be like, okay, and Russell Wilson did throw one touchdown this week, He's now he's currently at eight on the season, um, and he goes, and Sierra decided to not add any more bathrooms this week, they remain at 12, so as of oh, now, God. Russell Wilson needs four touchdowns this year to pass his amount of bathrooms in his home, but I don't know, my money's on bathrooms, bro. Ah, <laughs> oh, jeez. What a train wreck! I mean, how'd you how'd you like to be the Broncos and like wish you had freaking anybody else? Tyler Heineke. Yeah, I think I think Carson Wentz has more touchdowns than um, Russell Wilson right now. He hasn't played in six weeks. Oh my god, it's ridiculous. Anyway, moving forward, Browns at the Texans. Cleveland are seven point favorites, and I'm taking Cleveland in this one. Yep, they'll beat the Texans by more than seven. Seahawks at the Rams. Although, did you hear what's happening at that game? Not to cut you off, I'm sorry. Oh yeah, it's it's uh, it's Deshaun Watson's first game back against his old team. It is, and somebody, a lawyer from that area, I think that was initially going after him, has bought a suite and invited all of the uh, people that came out with the allegations against oh, Deshaun to the game to come and watch him. I think so far ten of them have confirmed they'll be there. Um, oh my god! So he'll have all his accusers just watching him. So I wonder no if that fucks way. with him at all. <laughs> Dude, taking a page right out of uh, Donald Trump's book. Yeah, for real. <laughs> Do you remember when he did that during the debates? Yes, with Hillary Clinton, that's and he a, brought all a, of uh, Bill Clinton's accusers into the front yep. row of the debate. Yep. Oh, it's a great move. Wow, it's a great move. Tremendous. <laughs> Tremendous. Oh. Um, Okay, Seahawks at the Rams. Seahawks are eight-point favorites. Ah, that's a lot of points. It is, but Stafford looks like he's probably done for the year. The backup doesn't look that great. Allen Robinson, I think, is hurt for the Rams. I just, I think the Rams are kind of cashing it in. Yeah, all of that being said, it's a divisional game, dude. Mm-hmm. Like, like I don't know. Divisional game, eight points. You beat your division rival by eight points. It, it could happen. I'm going to go against my, my better judgment here, and I'll take the Seahawks. There you go. Um... Game of the week, Dolphins at the Niners. Ooh, that'll be a great game. Niners are four-point favorites at home, and I'm going to take the Niners in this one. Are you? This would be the one yeah, I I'll, disagree with you at. I'll take the Niners. Okay, I will put the Niners. I would go Dolphins there just based on the offense and, ha- and getting those points. They're so damn if good. If it was like five points, yeah. I'd say yeah. But four points, that sounds good. 
Mm. I'll take the four. Chiefs at the Bengals. Chiefs are two and a half point favorites in Cincinnati. Give me the Bengals. That'd be a really good game. Bengals. Give me the Bengals. I think the Bengals. I think the Bengals beat them. I think they beat them big. Uh, Chargers at the Raiders. Chargers are two point favorites in Vegas. <sighs> the Chargers have let us down on every pick we've made on them this year. Just so you know. Yeah, they have. But it's been so close, though. You know what I mean? Like, it's not yeah, been oh, like yeah. they've... And la- last week, they we lost on them. Didn't they win? They were favored by five, huh? Yeah. They they did not cover. And they won by a point. Um, hmm. All right. Let's go Raiders. All right. Um, do-do-do-do. Colts at the Cowboys. Cowboys are getting 10 and a half. I give it to them. You know, I gave it to the to the the Dolphins last week, and they and they didn't let me down. So we'll do that. We'll do that here. Cow- Cowboys beat them by by a bunch. And then Monday Night Football: Saints at the Bucks. Bucks are favored by three and a half points. I'm gonna take the Saints in this one. Are you? Yep, absolutely. Okay. Bucks suck, dude. They're terrible. Um, the Saints aren't great either, but they can put up some points, and it's a divisional game. Yeah, yeah, I like it. I like. I it. like. I like the Saints. All right. Um, real quick, since we're on, I know we've just been talking nothing but sports today, but, um, the United States plays Iran today must win in a must win game in Qatar in the world cup. And there's been a bit of drama You've been following this drama. Uh, I saw one of our U S captain got interviewed yesterday and, and pretty much got, um, uh, corrected on how he was saying Iran's like the country's name. And, um, uh, then he kind of got pressed on what it feels like to play for a team for to represent a country uh, in which his people, black people, are you know discriminated against. Is that is that what you're mm-hmm. referring to? Uh, not quite. That, that has something to do with it. But okay. but that that was actually a pretty good exchange there. And um, what's the captain's name? His name's Tyler Adams. Yeah, and he gives a great response to the question. Right? Because they, they 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 try to put him in a little corner there, a little gotcha. How can you how can you speak out against uh, Iran when there's so much discrimination against black people in your country and you're black? And his response is basically like, "Look, uh, I, I've been around the world. I've had to assimilate to different cultures, and what I can tell you is that the United States, while it's not perfect, is making progress. And as long as you're making progress, is the only thing that matters." Boom. It's a great answer. And, and he even said, thank you for correcting me on that. You know, it's about education. Thank you for correcting me. I was saying it wrong, and now I know how to say it. Right? Kill him with kindness. Love it. But that was that question was uh, was spurred by, um, at, yeah, we've talked about it. There's protests in Iran right now, uh, uh, mostly for the treatment of, of their women, and an attempt to show solidarity with these protests, the U.S. Soccer Federation briefly displayed Iran's national flag on social media without the emblem of the Islamic Republic. Yeesh. Resulting mm. in fierce backlash, the Iranian government accusing the Federation of removing the name of God from the national flag. I mean, that's fucking dude, That's huge. You know what I mean? That's a Damn. really, really big show of disrespect. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, and it ha- hasn't helped matters that uh, the, the ex- uh, U.S. men's national team manager uh, Jurgen Klinsmann has criticized Iran Iranian football culture uh, after their after their win over Wales, and so you know there was that question for for our captain there, and they're they're you know they're they're building up some drama, and that's why I love these tournaments because there's like there's like the political unrest in the background, right? And it, like these players have almost nothing to do with anything political in either country, right? But they're representing e- e- each each individual country, and you know, I don't. They don't represent the views of the the American government, but but the American government is not friendly to Iran and vice versa. So you now you have these these players from these countries um, 
facing off on a, on a, on a pitch. And then you add this, this disrespect up from, from the, the U S soccer federation to, to Iran. I mean, even if you're not sympathetic to the Iranian regime and you're Iranian, uh, you got to take that as a slight. I mean, that's like, I don't know. I don't know. I can't, exp- I, I, I can't like find an equivalent and be like, Putting like st- removing the stars from our flag. The stars, I guess, but that's that's not even that that has nothing to really to do. I mean, it it does, but when your when your nation's entire identity is revolved around a religion, and that it, it's in the flag. I don't know, man. I, like like we, I I hate how we we act so flippantly and do these things like like they won't be consequences for this. You know what I mean? I'm not, I'm not saying like like soccer consequences. I'm saying like there are people out there who take offense to that to the point where they will murder people yeah. for doing something like that. Like right. that is a murderable offense. You know, you find yourself in the wrong place in the wrong time and you happen to be representative of a country that you have nothing to do with. Um, I don't know, man. It's, it, it leaves a bad taste in my mouth. I don't like it. I feel you. Uh, man, we should just avoid the collision of church and state and, and keep them separate. And I think we'd avoid a lot of problems. <laughs> I don't think a whole country's identity should be religious. I think that's a mistake, <laughs> personally. Yeah, well, well, I tell you what, uh, you put your diplomat hat on and go to Iran, Iran. Yeah, I'll tell them. <laughs> and you like, let hey, them know, this. man. I know no you one give them what for. <laughs> oh, Jesus. There's a lot of shit going on right now, though. What else is going on? In other international news, um, there are some pretty fierce uh, protests in China, of all places. The one place you don't expect to hear that there are large-scale public unrest because they usually yeah. quash that immediately but there is um and it's it's the youth in china that are fed up with the zero covid policy implemented by their uh supreme leader xi jinping um these young chinese are protesting the country's harsh zero covid policy and even urging its top leader xi jinping to step down it's something that china hasn't seen since 1989 when the ruling communist party brutally cracked down on the pro democracy demonstrators mostly college students uh such public dissent was unimaginable just a few days ago these same people when they mentioned mr z online use euphemisms like x he or that person afraid to even utter the president's name it's like fucking voldemort um <sighs> They put up whatever the government put them through, harsh pandemic restrictions, high unemployment rates, fewer books available to read, movies to watch, games to play. There was a video circulating online of somebody welding shut uh, a, like an apartment building so you couldn't get in and out. Um, like, so if you couldn't get food, you just like, like good luck, you know? Uh, and then, and then something wow. cracked. Um, after nearly three year, uh, long years of zero COVID, which has turned into a political campaign for Mr. Xi, China's future looks increasingly bleak. The economy is in its worst shape in decades. Mr. Xi's foreign policy has antagonized many countries. His censorship policy, in addition to quashing challenges to his authority, has killed nearly all fun. Um, as a popular Weibo post put it, Chinese people are getting by with books published 20 years ago, music released a decade ago, travel photos from five years ago, income earned from last year, frozen dumplings from a lockdown three months ago, COVID tests from yesterday, and a freshly baked Soviet joke from today. Whew. Man, uh, real bleak outlook there in, in China. Um, and, you know, like, lest us forget, dude, this is a communist state. So th- these are these are going to be met with, with harsh backlash so long as... Uh, you know, there's one person who controls all of this and, and there's enough fear for people to, to listen to what he has to say and, and follow his orders. So, um, you know, best of luck to the people of China. I couldn't agree more that 
I mean, I get cringy when freaking Anthony Fauci's on TV talking people to telling people to like distance during COVID, like during Thanksgiving. Like, dude, shut the fuck up. Like nobody wants to, to hear about COVID right now. And and imagine living in a place where there's a zero COVID policy. Oof, my mm-hmm. goodness. Yeah. Um, part of this is that Apple, in compliance with the Chinese Communist uh, 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 Party, ceased the functionality of AirDrop in China, which was a main uh, uh, tool for these protesters to use. And why that is interesting, other than the fact that they're cooperating with the Chinese Communist Party to quash protests, is that uh, Elon Musk is now going after Apple. Have you seen this? I have, man. He's been going at Tim Cook and all of them on Ooh. Twitter, man. He is he has added Tim Cook, the CEO of, of Apple. The richest man in the world has has called out Tim Cook, uh, and he's accusing them of trying to remove Twitter from the, the Apple store. There's no explanation from Apple why Twitter would be blocked, but he said that they were trying to take him off, trying to take Twitter off the app store. And um, I have no reason to not believe that Elon Musk is telling the truth there. And that's a really weird thing to lie about. So he, he had a big Twitter thread uh, where he talked about how Apple is reducing its advertising spend on Twitter, wondering what's going on there. Well, I think of another thing that might kind of play into why Apple might not be so happy with Twitter or Elon right now is because Tesla has moved full force ahead, uh, kind of like announcing the release of their upcoming phone uh, that they're going to be coming out with. So now Tesla has, you know, or now Elon has become a direct competitor with Apple in mm-hmm. one of their very core products in the iPhone. People, they know how much, you know, sway that Elon kind of holds. So I, I can see a lot of people maybe trying to make that switch over from an iPhone over to this new Tesla phone. So that could be, you know, kind of also sparking this as well. I'm not sure, but uh, yeah, I mean, maybe you know, cult of personality, right? It, it, uh, it was Steve Jobs that that really made Apple. You know, mm-hmm. he was the visionary. He, you know, he 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 made this this vision, and and then people bought it. I think Elon Musk is doing the exact same thing, and, and now you know, and now they're they're not so subtly going after. Uh, Elon Musk's newest purchase. The new phone looks pretty interesting, though, Frank. It's like it goes off of their Starlink satellites. So you, what they're saying oh, really? is you'll have service anywhere in the world, and when there's a time that humans live on Mars, you'll you'll be able to communicate from you know Mars to Earth and all of that. Like it's going to be a multi-planetary cell system. Like so, it's it is new and and kind of innovative in in that regard. So I, I think maybe Apple maybe does feel a little threatened by him. I could imagine that they do. In, an, in another slightly unrelated thread, uh, Elon Musk has been talking about releasing uh, all of the information and data that proves the censorship of uh, Twitter's past. Yeah. So he says the Twitter files on free speech suppression soon to be published on Twitter itself. The public deserves to know what really happened. Dot, dot, dot. Yeah. I mean, I think that's great that he's not shy to go ahead and out his own company and show the main reason why he got involved in the first place. I mean, they were going through headquarters the other day. He posted something and found a bunch of t-shirts that said, hashtag stay woke. Yeah. So if that's your yeah, company's hilarious. agenda is to stay woke, like, yeah, there's a lot more shit going on there for sure. And he put a poll up. Apple should publish all censorship actions it has taken that affect its customers. Yes or no? <laughs> hilarious. Oh, and yeah, he's just kind of going after Apple and, and, their, and their kind of, you know, their monopolistic ways and how they can, you know, with just a uh, you know, just a little push of the button here or there, you know they can they can make a big difference. So yeah, I mean I don't know, man. I I, I love the drama that Elon Musk has brought because it's, it's I think it's kind of what like everybody's been asking for. You know, like like I don't think we're crazy to have wondered 
about a invisible hand, right, in in the social media sphere. And and let's be very clear: what is on Twitter is not real life. Okay, but it's where real life goes to talk about real life. And when you when you do the things gradually that, that the way that Twitter's been doing it, the way that Facebook's doing it, the way Google's doing it, when Apple can, uh, you know, stop the function of of uh, AirDrop in an entire country at the behest of a, of, of the, the government of that country. Um, yeah, like, like that doesn't provide any comfort to us, the layman, the, the, the small person. And so I don't know, I, I, I don't want to lift up Elon Musk as, as this guy and put him on a pedestal or anything like that. He's, he's certainly not a hero by any means, but he's, he, all he's doing is peeling back and just saying, Hey, you deserve to, to see what's going on. You deserve to not be, uh, put in the dark. You, you deserve to not have vague explanations provided to you about why this person's being, uh, accounts been suspended or, or why they, they've been banned from this, this platform, this, that, and the other. So I don't know. I, so far, I think he's doing a great job. I love it. I have a piece here in the Washington post. It's kind of depressing, but it provides some insight into our social lives. And it starts with the classic qualification of COVID-19 and how it's wrecked, uh, wreaked havoc on our social lives. And there's closures and cancellations, hunkering down, yada, yada, yada. It goes into Americans spending 38% less time with friends and extended family over the Thanksgiving weekend. I think you alluded to that in the beginning of the show. <laughs> you kind of, yeah, we just kind of stayed home mm -hmm. and relaxed. Um, but then it says that uh, our social lives were withering dramatically even before COVID-19. Between 2014 and 2019, time spent with friends went down and time spent alone went up by more than it did during the pandemic. So to put that in perspective, we were isolating ourselves and spending more time alone by a, a larger margin than even before the pandemic. Americans 15 years and older are spending a lot more time alone than they did in 2013, and the trend started way before the pandemic. Americans 15 years and older are spending, on average, 10 hours per week more alone than they were in 2013, and they're spending anywhere between four and six hours less with friends and companions per week. Uh, and this is a study, according to the Census Bureau's American Time Use Survey. Uh, the amount of time the average American spent with friends was stable at six and a half hours per week between 2010 to 2013. And then in 2014, time spent with friends began to decline. By 2019, the average American was spending only four hours per week with friends, a sharp 37% decline from five years before. Social media, political polarization, and new technologies all played a role in the drop. <laughs> Those were the two things I was going to say right there. Social media, everyone's on your phone and everyone's pissed off by different political opinions. So they you know, they're, they're distancing themselves from people or whatever, surrounding themselves more into their own bubble in their own social media world. And then people just sit there and scroll and scroll and scroll. I, I yeah, I totally can see that. Yeah. I think that tracks, right? Like, uh, yeah. uh, take a look back 10 years ago and that makes a ton of sense to me. Similar declines can even be seen, uh, when the definitions of friends is expanded to include neighbors, coworkers, and clients, the average American spent 15 hours per week with this, with this broader group of friends a decade ago, 12 hours per week in 2019, and only 10 hours a week in 2021. And then on average, Americans did not transfer that time lost to spouses, partners, or children. Instead, they chose to be alone. Mm. Um, I've noticed this trend personally that I want to be alone more often. And I feel like that that's more of a me just like transitioning from this like person that used to, to get energy from a lot of social interactions and being with people and networking 
to uh, really appreciating me time. You don't think it has anything to do with the crying baby? No, no, this is long before the baby. <laughs> Even more so now. Like, I, yeah, I, yeah. now I have the perfect excuse for that. Yeah. Um, but long before that, I, and I always, I, I never, I never thought it was due to some larger social revolution um, uh, in America where, where, where en masse we're doing this. I always thought it was just like me becoming more of who I am. Okay. And like, yeah. and like internally, I'm more of an introvert and I was an extrovert because I had the time to be an extrovert and I didn't have all the responsibilities and all of the stress of a job and, um, all the other things that I take on and, and I don't want to give up my time to go do something when I could be golfing. You know what I mean? I just thought I was being more selfish with my time and that was me more, you yeah. know, being, being a little bit more developed in who I was. Now I read this, I'm like thinking like, oh, maybe, maybe I've been influenced day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute with what I'm doing online, on Twitter, on Instagram, this, that, and the other. And that has caused me kind of hunker down within and be a little bit more of a hermit. I could see that. But I also think like the natural progression of life is for that to happen too. Like when you're younger, in your 20s, especially, you know, throughout that whole time period, it, it is good to go out, you make friends. You, you know, you, you, at that time, a lot of people are looking for a partner. So you, you have an opportunity to do that and to date, you, you know, you could always want to go and network and try to help yourself in your career and maybe, you know, take the next step, yada, yada. You're more incentivized, I think, to go out and be that social person in whatever way that is when you're younger. But then as you move into your thirties and, and more and more into adulthood, I think like you're more set up, obviously a lot of people like with a partner. A lot of people are more set up with a job. You don't need to do all of those things anymore to really like push yourself forward. You kind of have your friends and your partner and your job, like your career, like in pocket. So at that point probably are just, you know, chilling more with just those direct people. And then you see like, as far as friends go, like something like COVID, like uh, for me and you, like me and you hang out more now than we do, than we did, you know, pre COVID and all that. Like, obviously we live in two separate places, but like through video games. We can get right. online any single night and hang out. You know, it's not a person-to-person -person interaction, but we are still interacting. And that's how a lot of relationships and honestly good friendships of mine through COVID have formed is just through video games, which is, I guess, sounds weird and nerdy or whatever. But, like, I'm happy to say that. Like, I have great times with my friends almost nightly in that in that domain. But but I do think that, like, the natural thing as you, as you just get older and older is to not do as much of, of that social butterflying that you were kind of describing there so i you know it doesn't surprise me i guess is all i would say but I, social media your phone in general i mean like as this thing has continued to develop and and get bigger and bigger in, in everyone's lives like they know how to make you stay on this motherfucker whether it's social media whether it's games whether it's sports betting like whatever it is like they know how to glue you to this they they have user interfaces in all the apps that draw your eye to them and make you want to stay and and engage. So I, mean, I, I think that's also just the natural progression of uh, all these companies kind of figuring out how our brains work and how to keep that phone in our hands and our eyes on that screen. Yeah. And it's not going anywhere. Right. So I, I don't know that the solution, if, if we need to come up with a solution, but if, if, if you're feeling that you're isolated, you're spending more time alone and, and, and this device is, is to blame, um, I don't know that it's, it, it's, it's not going to disappear. So I think 
the strategy has to be how, how do we use this um, in conjunction with what we know to be a healthy social life, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's all about trade-offs. It's like, you know, but, 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 but in order to make that happen, you have to be conscious about it. You have to be aware of what you're doing. And I think that's the key right. there is that not, not do they, not, not only do they know how to keep you glued, but they know how to keep you brainless about it. They know how to keep mm. it. So like you look up and it's like 1230 in the morning and you're like, well, shit, I was supposed to go to bed two hours ago. Yeah. Right. right? You know what I mean? And so it's like, you, mm-hmm. you're not aware of what you're doing until, until it's too late. And so it's like, how do we, as a big giant social network of people become aware of how much time we're spending on the internet and what it's doing to us and how do we then transfer that energy into something that is a little bit more constructive in a, in a social atmosphere. I don't know. I don't know that this like article or these, these, these trends are indicative of something that's like a big crisis, but like a generation later, our children, I could see that being like, they don't even know what it's like to go play at a park. Right? right. Because they're online, right? All of their interactions are through some sort of medium instead of face to face. I don't know what that, what the implications of that are, but it just, when I hear that doesn't sound good, it sounds unhealthy. Yeah. And that, that was the first thing that came to my head is like, you need to force yourself, your, your children, whatever it is, like into some kind of community at some, in some way. Like if this concerns you, if you want to live on your phone, live on your phone. Like I don't, that, that's your own choice. But to me, like a, a great way that I've found to still get out, make friends, you know, be part of something is, is just going to play tennis, going to the gym. I've got a group of friends. We play three times a week, plus sometimes three to five. And, you know, that, that keeps you engaged. You're talking to people like, Hey, let's go do this. You know, let's go get drinks after you, you have to like, nowadays, I feel like really make an effort to create your community and, and to engage with the community. If, if you want to see that back, like it's not, it's not as easy apparently as it used to be. So that, that'd be my biggest thing. I mean, the, the, the phone companies, Apple will give me a report each week of how much time I spend on my phone. And I have never looked at that and been like, oh, I should stay off my phone more this week. Or I should, you know, oh, look, I did good mm, yeah. last week. Like, it's just information. They, they know you don't give a fuck. <laughs> You're going to be right back on right. your phone right after that. So right, it's like, exactly. it's, it's on the user. It's on us. If, if, if that is something that you are actively looking to, you know, problem solve with, it's, it's on you to find whatever that tennis is for you if it's playing a you know even just a card group of people there's there's tons of of websites and interfaces you can use that will help you find like like like-minded people like you you just you just got to put the effort in really i think the crux of what all that is and what you're searching for in those events if it's tennis or golf or going for a run or even just for a walk it's time in your head alone Mm -hmm. from outside influences where those thoughts can just flood your brain. And sometimes that's a really daunting thing to to think about, right? Like, like I'm alone with my thoughts. I don't want to be alone with my thoughts today because I'm not in a good place. Right. But the only way to get out of those places is, is to reckon with what, what you're going through. But the, 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 the time spent alone with your thoughts, I think is the most underrated time. And, and that, that, I think is what all these activities ultimately lend themselves to whatever it is, right? Like exercise, going for a walk, writing, journaling, or reading, right? Maybe yeah, even reading you're alone with, with a story, right? And, and, and it's just you and this, and this story and you're interacting with a, you know, 
with something tangible that has has meaning to it. Um, so I, I, I think that's where we're all the the basis of, of all those activities are, and it's it is important. It all involves putting your phone away. All the, the exactly. common denominator and all those things is your phone's in your golf bag. It's in your tennis bag. It's mm-hmm. on your you know table on the other side of the room so you can focus and read. It you know music is another really great outlet. You know where people that maybe have written poetry or something like that before can can come into that medium. So that, 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 those are all great ways, but I think the, the phone away is the common thing. One thing that I read over the weekend that looks like, uh, maybe will help or hurt this problem. I'm not really sure. Uh, but over in the UK, a hundred different companies have signed up to all transition to a four day work week and will mm-hmm. not be cutting pay for any of their employees. Yeah. So I, I, that. I think that's really, really interesting, man. Like that'll help with that work-life balance, maybe give people more time to go out and get involved or, or do more of these things. Also, it could just give them more time to sit at home on their phones. I, I don't know if it'll help fix any problem, but um, it, it looks like what it's going to be. It's 100 companies, about 2,500 people. So it's a small, small fraction of the amount of people that actually work over in the United Kingdom. Uh, but it's part of like this campaign, which is the four-day work week campaign. Uh, and it's like this group that kind of keeps growing and growing, and they're, they're trying to get more and more companies to do this. Looks like they've got 100 to sign off on it already, which is, is cool. It's a step. Um, I personally do work a four day work week right now and love it. It's amazing to have that extra day and I can kind of swing it between Mondays and Fridays, which is also really nice to have an employer that's flexible like that. But it does. I mean, it, it has opened up my Fridays, especially that's the day I usually take the time off just because there's so much shit to do usually on Mondays after a weekend. But um, it, it does kind of let you get into the weekend more. I can kind of go to the gym early on a Friday and kind of just jump off on that right foot. Um, so I'm a big fan. I, I saw this come out over the weekend. And I, I think it's more more employers should pay attention to it, and, and it's huge that they're not cutting the pay because every every time this is kind of proposed, that kind of seems to be the first thing that would come up as as a well, what do you do? Do employees still going to pay this much? You know, yada yada. So it looks like they found a way. I don't know. Yeah, good for them. Uh, I hope it makes its way stateside. That'd be yeah, awesome. Be cool. Let's talk about bridges. Okay. Uh, not not physical bridges, mental bridges. Oh, okay. There's a uh, op-ed in in the Wall Street Journal by uh, an economist named uh, Roland Fryer. He's an economist at Harvard, and uh, he starts talking about you know his his upbringing, right? And he was raised uh, uh, in part by his his grandma, who who was born in 1925, came of age during Jim Crow, uh, got a degree at, at Bethune Cookman University, and um, she became a teacher and, and by all means successful, but she was always talking about race with her grandson. And he, he recalls this, this first memory of, of the conversation of race with his grandma. Uh, he was at a McDonald's and um, she paid with a $20 bill and the cashier put the change directly on the counter and shoved it over to her. His grandma said, you see that? A white woman didn't want to touch me. He said he'd noticed it too, but he thought the cashier was being nice, gave her the benefit of the doubt, trying to avoid passing on her own germs. And his grandma was obviously biased, right? She grew up during Jim Crow. Racism was everywhere. Yeah. You know, that is not, not, it's not hard to think of. And so he began to see racism everywhere as well, right? Differences in wages, racism. Racial differences in educational achievement, racism. Racial differences in teen birth rates, racism. This sort of casual uh, empiricism was in the mainstream for him growing up, and, and, and now he's seeing it in the mainstream uh, today. And I think we all are, right? We all kind of 
revolve right back into that, you know, structural racism of America causing these different disparities, you know, between races. Um, so he talks about being a, a, a graduate student and reading a paper called The the Role of Pre-Market Factors in Black-White Wage Differences. And it uses a, a, a nationally representative sample of more than 12,000 14 to 17-year-olds from 1979. They estimated that, bla- that black people earned 35 to 45% less than whites on average. But what the study found was that measured when, when you took people and you measured them skill by skill, right? This person doing this job and this person doing that job, that with women, they actually earned more. White, black women earned more than white women if they had the same skill measured. Black men were at the most... 29% would earn less than their count, their white counterpart if they had the same skill, right? He read this and he, he wasn't, it wasn't like a revelation to him. It was more like a, well, this doesn't jive with what my experiences were. And so I don't know how to make sense of this. I need to find something different, right? I need to find something that, that, that latches onto what I believe and what I've experienced, what my, you know, what my upbringing taught me. So he, he takes this study and he goes to one of his classmates and he talks to him about it. And he said, I just, he, he said, I can't get this da- data to cooperate with me. And his, his classmate asked why he was so convinced. And he, and he went into this rant about the prevalence of racism and recognizing bigots on the, on the streets and his grandma uh, and her experiences. And then his friend just responded with, a, with laughter, laughed in his face. And he was really you know, taken back by it, kind of offended. And then he pointed out how far he was straying from the facts. And he said on any other subject outside of race that he would never have given in to such sloppy thinking, th- saying, you know, you're, you're looking at data and then you're looking at your experiences and you're, you're trying to make the two mesh. And then he goes into a bunch of different data and I'm not going to go through all of it, but he, he, it, it really takes him basically what he, what he's found out and, and I'm not trying to make a big case here for this, but he, what he found out was that statistically disparity doesn't imply racism. Meaning if you have the same skill, then you will probably get paid on average the same as anybody else has that same skill. Doesn't mean you won't get spit on on the parking lot. That's not what he's saying because of your race or because of racism. Saying when you enter that door, you will get paid the same. Now, this isn't a commentary on race or racism or who gets paid what. I'm not interested in that. What I think was so interesting about this article to me is that I think we allow ourselves all the time, day and night, to take this thought and match it with this result and bridge a 15-mile-long bridge to those two things, right? Mm. Either ignoring or not, not, not worrying about data or, or facts or anything that goes in between those bridges and things like that. And I think it's never more apparent than what happened in um, Colorado Springs a couple weeks ago when there was a, a, a deranged young man who went into a, a gay nightclub and shot up a bunch of a bunch of people killed five uh, injured a bunch more and immediately you saw uh that uh conservatives and 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 republicans were blamed for this violence it was their rhetoric that inevitably would lead to something like this and i think you and i both know you kind of have to wait for the facts to come out before you make uh, a statement like that but that didn't stop anybody else and then we learned that this person identifies as non-binary that might be a ploy. It might just be so that he doesn't get convicted of hate crimes. We don't know. But the fact remains that it, it takes so much bridge building in our heads to go from point A 
to point B that we don't ever recognize or give thought to what kind of damage are we doing when we build this bridge? Who are we building this bridge over? And what are we doing to make sure that this bridge connects these thoughts in, in our head? How many gaps are we filling in? How many points do we have to fill in in our head before we get to those points? How many things are we assuming? And and I, that to me, I think pinpoints a, a very big problem in our social commentary. How many, how many times that we build bridges over assumptions? I hear you for sure. But like the very first point you said is that when you look at, at employment and salary information, what was it you said? Was it like 45 to 50% less for African-American people compared to white people just in, in general? Without looking at their skill sets? 12,000 14 to 17 year olds in 1979. And they estimated that that black people earned between 35 to 45% less than white people on average. Okay. So it's just to, to me, that would be, that would be one thing like, yes, you're, he addresses that their skill sets weren't the same, but like that, that would be the problem there. That would be the, the bridge I would build is that like, okay, well, that's the problem that needs to be addressed is why are so many African Americans less prepared with a smaller skill set than all these white Americans are. And like that, that to me is a bridge uh, I would right. be willing to build. You know what I'm saying? But, I, but, but, but are a, you, but are you bridging it to, to racism? I think is the point of this in a way. Yes. Cause the communities that they grow up in are, I believe a result of racism that was either introduced by our government, you know, to destroy those communities or has just been, they've been let down by their government and by the party that's supposedly been in their favor, trying to help them for all these years, the democratic party. And look at all of these all of these cities that have been Democrat run for fifty plus years are all in shambles with terrible inner cities, and these education rates are all super super low. So to me, yes, racism is a factor in that initial stat that you said. But I'm, I guess I'm building yeah, here, a bridge I'll, right there. But are we? Yeah, well, I'll, re I'll read you his last paragraph. I think I think it'll sum up your your, your point here pretty concisely. Uh, the solution is neither to stop fighting biased behavior nor to curb honest inquiry about race in America. We shouldn't stop searching for and penalizing discriminatory uh, employers or trying to reduce racial differences in police brutality or estimating whether the value of a home appraisal depends on the race of the homeowner or reducing bias in bail decisions by using artificial intelligence. I could go on like the conversation stuck to those uh, slipcovers. The solution isn't to look away from discrimination. It does exist. But we also can't point to every gap in outcomes and instantly conclude that it's racism. Prejudice must be measured rigor rigorously, statistically. Disparity does not necessarily imply racism. It may feel omnipresent, but it isn't all powerful. That is the sentence that I really like. It may feel omnipresent, yeah. but it isn't all powerful. Skills matter most. So it's saying, don't throw the, ba the baby out with the bathwater. That's not what we're saying. Here. What we're saying is, if you're going to claim that this is this gap, this disparity, whatever it is, racism, if you're going to claim that uh, uh, cons a conservative is responsible for the, the uh, violence uh, brought upon uh, the uh, uh, LGBTQ club, then you have to probably show some pretty darn good evidence for that reasoning. Otherwise, it may be detrimental to the case on the whole. Um, which is a point that I think is kind of buried in the noise. Uh, so, so I hear yeah. you, and and I think I think I think you're you're spot on with with everything that you're saying. Um, but I think it's incumbent upon us to bring a solid argument. Bring, you know, yeah, think about what just you're talking about. Yeah, don't flippantly use X, Y, and Z, which is something that his grandmother, who experienced real ass racism, mm -hmm. ended up doing that imparted upon him, and. So, you know, maybe it's as slippery of a slope as racism, this other form of prejudice in your head based off of real life experiences. 
it's tough it's a tough thing to do yeah for sure well anyways i thought that was interesting i hope you did too what's not tough to do is to go on to our store and get merch because we got it coffee mugs sweaters t-shirts hats underwear anything you want for the loved one in your life to let them know that you care about them is available right now on our shopify helps us get the name out we'd really appreciate it if you guys get those holiday orders in so you'd have them for that special someone for this special time of year frank where can they find those you can find us on Twitter at Friendship NH, on Instagram and TikTok at Friendship News Hour, and you can write us an email, bummerdude.media at gmail.com, bummerdude.media at gmail.com. And we'll see you next time.